Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Wednesday, January 17, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Your daily dose of happy, your first one of the day, actually. And uh, we woke up this morning here in Connecticut with a little snow on the ground, so that was like a little nice wake-up call. Um, fortunately, the temperatures are warmer than they've been, somewhere around 30 degrees, a lot better to, a lot better than the single digits to minus single digits we've been experiencing the last couple of weeks. So that was a real nice improvement, Cindy, although I hear it's a little bit cool down your way today. It is. It's so funny to hear you in Connecticut saying uh, that it's in the 30s, and I'm down here in Louisiana, and it's 16 degrees. <laughs> it's weird. And uh, I just saw a picture of from the news of the interstates, which are completely covered with snow, and there's not a single car out there because the, the roads are closed, the state offices are closed, the schools are closed, because we just don't have the, the infrastructure or the support or the means to deal with any snow here at all. So we got snow last night, and everything's covered with this beautiful white layer, and it's very quiet. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine Nothing's it is. Going on. Nothing moving at all. Yeah. Oh, oh. No, there's nothing. You look out, it's like no cars, no no nothing. I wonder if uh, Louisiana does something similar to what Washington D.C. does. Do, do they take the garbage trucks and put plows in front of them? <laughs> well, that's the thing is that we don't even have you know we we have nothing to take care of any of that because we just don't get snow. I've been here 30 wow. years, and we've had snow three times. Woof. Yeah, that's so fairly rare. We just we don't. So, yeah. So, you know, we usually at the beginning of our show every day, we talk about a win. And I was sitting here thinking, well, this is a big win for a lot of kids. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> got told they don't have school. And anybody that works for a government office or whatever, so this is a nice day off for a lot of people. So, so what happens? Do you guys just wait until the snow melts or what happens? Well, I mean, we, we usually it'll be melted in a couple of hours because we just don't get the temperature to sustain it. But today it's 16 degrees. You know, I mean, that, that's... You're asking me, and I'm going, yeah, I don't know. I guess we will. Um, but it's 16 right now, so I just looked. And it's like, it's uh, my my weather app that I'm looking at says that it will be 35 degrees by 3 p.m. Even at 1 p.m., it's still below 30. So so I guess there's a chance okay. it'll do some melting today. If it gets up in the 30s, you have a decent chance. If there's sun, if there's sun, there's going to be plenty of chance to melt. So how, how much do you have? How much snow do you have on the ground? Oh, I don't know. It's just a dusting, you know. Oh, oh so that'll melt pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to hang around too long. It's just enough to shut every, everything down. <laughs> so put a lot of smiles on a lot of faces. That's a good thing. We need more of that in life, you right? know? Right. Right. We'll yeah. deal with it. Yeah, that's okay. We'll deal with it. So, um, what about you? What's going right for you this morning? Oh, well, everything's going right. That's the way I look at it because so, <laughs> much, so much is going right, so I figure everything's going right, you know? I mean, let's see. We went out to dinner last night. That was everything's nice. Everything's always going right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. We are today at 35 co-authors of the book, and I've got, I'm expecting a number of answers later on today. Um, that I think I'll bring it up into the 40s, so we're closing in on our goal of 50. And, I mean, that's, considering we've only been reaching out to authors for about, you know, 10 days, 11 days, that's pretty darn good. So, you know, that's, that's going amazing. really well. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's, and it's encouraging. Talk a little bit about the book. It's in case somebody's listening that doesn't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. We're putting together a book of law of attraction manifestations, real-life manifestation stories. And uh, so we, we were reaching out primarily to law of attraction coaches like yourself to uh, to submit stories from their own lives, from their own you know real-life existences. 
And we're already seeing some of the submissions. There are others, who, obviously, who are still writing it, and you know, we're, we're going to give them time. We're not going to say, "Okay, you got to have it done by tomorrow." <laughs> but uh, um, the submissions that we're seeing already are just really cool stories. I mean, great stories. This is this book is going to be a great read, and we're hoping and planning to have the book published by sometime in February. In fact, um, we're even talking about having a special pre publication uh, offer, so to speak, um, we we're, we're probably going to let people who want to download the digital version via Amazon Kindle get a free look at it, get a free copy of the book. So it's going to be pretty fun. It's going to be a very fun thing. I'm excited about it. Anytime I can hear stories, you know, uplifting stories of other people's success using deliberate creation, it always lifts my energy. It always enables me to get excited about uh, things that I might create. So oh, yeah. I think it's a great idea. I can't wait to read it. I'm, i I got to get my piece written and get that in. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have some time. I mean, <clears throat> the uh, deadline that we set for uh, people to submit the stories is January 26th, and even there we might give some leeway. So you've got some time, but uh, definitely you want to get writing out when you can. That's the time. And i got a snow day, so... There you go, yeah. <laughs> right, right about a snow day in Louisiana. There's, there's a miracle right there. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is grow, talking about this. It made me remember a story. Growing up, I grew up in California, and I so I grew up in another place, the part of California I grew up in. We didn't get snow ever. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and my sister, when she was uh, five, I guess she was five or six, and she had come home from kindergarten or first grade, whatever, and she had decided that she wanted it to snow, and mm. my, you know, my parents told her, "Well, we, we and it was cold that winter, but we don't get snow here." Mm. She had learned about snow, and she had decided she was going to have snow, and she was going to go talk to God about it, and she was going to make it happen. And she went on this tangent of talking about that she was going to pray for snow, and it was going to snow, and she just talked about it and talked about it, and what do you know? Like we got snow a few days later. Wow. Focused on it, and you know, she, of course, she still would talk about it when she was in her, you know, twenties and thirties and forties. She would say, <laughs> "I remember." I, she was still convinced that she had something to do with it, and you know, maybe she did. <laughs> oh, I think she definitely did. I mean, I've had plenty of experiences influencing weather. I've, there have been so many other stories of people influencing weather. I mean, there's a story of Esther Hicks influencing weather. Remember that one? Oh yeah, and we've had we've had that same same type of experience. Really, really interesting, Mike. My boys will say that when they were younger, they would uh, do a rain dance when they didn't want to do yard work. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> clever. Very clever lads. I like that. <laughs> Very Be- funny. Being somebody who never enjoyed doing yard work, I especially appreciate that one. <laughs> my, my, right. my, wife, my wife is the gardener in the family, not me. I help with the books. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, you know, everyone has got a, a place and a job, right? That that's right. For them, so. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not a big yard work person either. You're not, okay. <laughs> uh, it, here it gets so hot. You know, the gardening in the springtime, it's so wonderful. It's been it's been a little cold, and we get the spring, and it starts feeling happy and good outside, and the little things are sprouting, and I get all fired up that I want to plant a garden, and, and I do, and I work it for a while, and then suddenly summer appears, and it's 
so hot. It's like I can't stay out there for any length of time, and mm. my, my whole energy around gardening just goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do my best, though. I, I, I give all of you credit who live in the deep south like that, who, who live with the really, really hot weather, because hot weather, I mean, I can tolerate hot weather, but it's not my favorite thing. My wife just can't t- tolerate it at all. So those of you who can tolerate tolerate that that high heat and high humidity and all that my hat's off to you because oh that stuff's rough <laughs> but yeah, anyway the humidity, the humidity is really something oh i'm, I'm sure. used to it now when i go when i go out west and i go to somewhere where i'm in the desert or somewhere that where there's no humidity it it, it kills me it just has the really? same reaction when people come here and they say i just can't take this humidity i have the the other reaction where other i go one. and i'll okay. be drinking water like 20 bottles of water in 10 hours, just <laughs> pouring them down, and I'm just parched, and I just can't get, you know, hydrated enough. So yeah. I'm, I'm loving the humidity at this point. But. Okay. Well, hey, that just goes to show just one person's preference is another person's no preference, and that's, you know, that's the way life becomes interesting. That's how we get the contrast, right? So it's that's a good right. thing. So today's topic, we had an interesting discussion offline and online yesterday off of an article that you found and uh, the article led us to create a topic today for that says you are healthier than they say you are and i'm not going to go any further i'm going to let you introduce it because it was you know it was your find and i i think it's fascinating that you identified what you did uh, as a lead takeaway from it so you know take it away tell us what this topic is about well the topic was there was an article <laughs> Uh, we were in we were in the car this weekend traveling from here to New Orleans, which is about an hour, hour and a half drive. And so I was just scrolling on my phone, and I came across an article. And actually, the interesting thing was that I saw this article shared on Facebook, shared on Twitter. I saw it like in more than one spot, just in a few minutes. So it was like, okay, you know, people are finding this article interesting, so they're sharing it. And okay. the article was talking about depression, and I, I don't have it in front of me. I think the title of the article was something like, Is Everything We Think We Know About Depression Wrong? Yeah, it sounds um, about right. Yeah. And so the article, uh, which was a great read, but it talked about the first-person story starts, the author starts talking about his own experience with depression and that his doctor had given him medicine for it that seemed to make it better. And he was a teenager for a little while, but then the way he described it was all the pain that was seeping through came back. And so they gave him a higher dose, and it came back, and they gave him a higher dose. And this just went on and on, and I think he was on this medication for 14 years or so. And he he talks about, what they called in the in the manuals, in the psychiatric manuals, what they called at the time um, that they decided that depression was caused by a brain chemistry, so an inner thing, something going on in the brain, uh, they decided that these doctors came back after a year or so and said, but wait a minute, what about our clients? What about our patients that are grieving? Because all of these symptoms that are in this checklist that are for us to diagnose depression, all of the symptoms are present for someone that has lost a loved one. And we feel this is a natural thing that's 
caused by something happening in the environment, in the life of the person, not inside of the person. And so they called it the grief exception. <laughs> and, you know, as time went on, more and more doctors began questioning, well, if there's an exception for grief, why is there not an exception for other things in our life that are, you know, I'm making air quotes, but going wrong? Because I'm not, I'm not reading the article. I'm just sort of paraphrasing or I'm telling you what's in my memory from reading it. Right. But if, 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 having, if having your spouse or your child or your friends die causes you to have these specific symptoms um, that are depression, well, what about when other things go wrong in your life? What about when you lose a job? What about when you're, you know, when you're physically sick or when all of these things? So the article is very long, but what the conclusion that these studies that this person did came to was that the two things that were really the problem were the the idea that your life doesn't have meaning and that people that were in maybe jobs that they didn't feel they had any control. So they they studied the, um, was it the British Civil Service? They said there was 19 like levels of bureaucracy, all the way from the president at the top down to the typists that were the lowest level. And they asked people, what do you think, who's going to have the highest, you know, possibility of a heart attack? And everyone said, well, the top guy, the president, and he's got all this responsibility, but actually it was the typist. Mm very lowest level, because they didn't feel they had any control over anything that happened at work. Right. And they used work because most people spend most of their time at their job that they're doing for money. And so the answer there was finding meaning and feeling like you had some kind of control over your day. And they told story after story of people whose depression lifted once they found meaning and felt like their work or their life had meaning. So what came up for me, and the reason why I thought this was such a fantastic discussion, is the idea of actually of story and of the stories that we tell. I mean, you'll hear it all day long when you start listening for it, right? If people say, I this and I that. I'm 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 this and I'm that. I do this for a job. You know, we ask people, "What do you do?" Pretty much when, the first time we meet people, uh, "What's your name?" and "What do you do?" and right. it's, how, "Where do you work?" Right. And so the idea that of identity. These people in the article were told by a doctor that something was basically that something was wrong with their brain. And so that was the story. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with my brain. My brain doesn't do what it's supposed to do or what it should do, and so I feel depressed, when in reality it was something in their environment. It was something outside of them, not inside of them, that needed to be adjusted. And it's important to, so, to, to note, too, that what we're talking about in terms of a source here is called the DSM-5, or, or the long name is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. This is the handbook of the psychotherapeutic industry. It is the handbook. It is, it's the one that gets referenced in court cases. It's, it is the definitive authority on all mental illnesses. And it was created in the 1970s by a group of American psychologists for the purpose of, of standardizing diagnoses within uh, the, the psychotherapeutic range. So this is a, a document that essentially said, here is what depression is, and 
then here's what the reality showed depression really is. It was completely different. So, I mean, mainstream psychotherapeutic practice, it turned out, was way off base in terms of what the thing really was. That, that, that's a really important point because it, it, it almost sounds like, if you don't look at that up close, it almost sounds like, well, this is like one or two rogue, rogue doctors who kind of made a bad diagnosis. No, 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 this is what the industry said. Right, and it's if you can check all these checkboxes off, then there's the diagnosis. Right. And the thing that that I think is so interesting, there's an idea that every symptom is a healing gesture. And I love this idea. And I I talk to people about it because so many times we and if you could see me, you see how often I'm making like air quotes, right? Because so many times we think something is wrong with us. When in actuality there's nothing wrong with us. Our body is doing what it's supposed to do. And I always use that example. If you, if I eat poison and then I get sick and my body purges it out, people will say, oh, no, something's wrong with Cindy. She's, you know, she's vomiting. Yeah. No, something's right with me. My body <laughs> is right. get rid of, getting rid of the poison, right? Yep. And in the same way, when we feel depressed, when we feel uh, uncomfortable, it, it's our usually our body speaking to us about something that's going on. And if we'll listen to it in a non-judgmental way of just curiosity, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and we pay attention, then usually we can get the answer and know what we need to adjust because all of our feelings and emotions, good, bad, you know, I, I always say there's no good emotions and bad emotions. There's just emotions. But we often categorize them as good or bad I like to say they're either pleasurable and comfortable or painful and uncomfortable. But all of them are in are a response to us either having our needs met or not having our needs met. And I think that was the thing that got me really excited about the article, and that is that that idea right there. Because we always think of needs as food, shelter, you know, sleep, oxygen to breathe. And we go, yeah, those are our basic human needs. But we also have basic human needs like connection and for our life to have meaning and the need to be seen and to be heard and the need for community and celebration. Those are basic human needs. And Mm -hmm. when they're not met, we start to feel things that don't feel great. Yeah, exactly true. It's also important to remember, too, that we, we kind of talked about this before. I think we were talking about it before the show. With um, with doctors, you we, we tend to take doctors as being the final word on everything, but the simple fact is they give opinions. That that's why they talk about a second opinion, right? I mean, if you get a diagnosis right. and you're not happy with it, you go for a second opinion because the first one was also an opinion. I mean, certainly medicine tries to be factual, to try to be scientifically research based, so that their diagnoses are going to be as accurate as as any human can make them. But there's still opinions and we're better off recognizing that they are opinions. They may be well-informed opinions, but they're still opinions. And I think that's, that's just something that's really important to keep in mind because it reminds us they are not the gods of our health. They are useful informational <laughs> sources, but, but we, should not, we should not assume that just because a doctor says something that it is the unlimited fact. We should realize that... I think that's we, the important thing. Yeah. Yeah, we should realize Doctors that... Doctors save that, lives. 
that, that are, all, that are <laughs> right? all inside, like you're saying, our own insides actually are, are good indications of what's going on. If we're getting some sort of sense about something, some sort of uh, feeling, some sort of internal message, we should pay attention to it because yes. those are also good opinions. Well, you know, I mean, that's what I've learned over the course of my life is that, I mean, I have great respect for, for medicine, uh, for modern medicine, and also for, you know, alternative medicine. Sure. Um, just for, for healing in general. And I know that doctors save lives. Um, I have doctors, nurses in my family that I value those opinions, right? Absolutely. And also, I value what my body is telling me, and I body, I, I value and honor, uh, at least I try to honor my gut instinct. And there have been times, I remember when my children were little, where a doctor told me one thing, and I just, I just, mm, I had, I had, an, I had another opinion. Mama had another opinion, you know, going mm-hmm. on. And I remember my my oldest son's pediatrician saying, "Well." If you want me to run the test, I'll run the test, Mama. I got to listen to you. You're the mom, and um, and I was right. Uh-huh. And it, it's not because I have any great wisdom. I was just listening to that inner voice I had. Something didn't feel right about what the doctor was thinking, and it turned out we were glad we ran the test. Um, so I think we need to pay attention, and we need to be curious about symptoms that we have. But especially in this emotional realm, because we know how important emotion is and emotional connection to the law of attraction. And that's what we're really talking about here is the law of attraction, right, and deliberate creation. So if we want to be the architects of our own life experience, then we've got to pay attention to our emotional health. And it's really and important. oftentimes it's just something we need to change in our environment, in yeah. our routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really important to remember that one of the things that people want to attract most is good health, especially if they don't have good health. So mm. this this is a big, big portion of the whole LOA spectrum that a lot of people get kind of wrapped up in for, for very reasonable reasons. <laughs> um, the fact is that because we are, like you say, emotional beings, we are intuitive beings, I would actually just differ with one little thing you said. You said it's not any great wisdom on your part. I disagree. You were actually pretty wise. You listened to your internal side. You said, you know what? If I get a message inside, that is something I need to pay attention to. And I think that is wisdom in, in and of itself. So, I mean, I, I don't mean to contradict what you were saying. I didn't, that's not my goal. But uh, you're just no, not, and you're, I appreciate you're not giving yourself that enough because I <laughs> Because... Maybe it would have better. Maybe it would have been more uh, succinct for me to say it wasn't any great knowledge on my part. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like I had studied and studied, and I had the knowledge equal to the study that the doctor had done. Right, right. But wisdom, it probably was wisdom. It was yeah. that higher wisdom, that inner wisdom that's attached to intuition. But the real wisdom, though, is when we listen and recognize and know that it's important to act. You know, there's an idea that that the difference between knowledge and wisdom is mm. knowledge is, is knowing a fact, but wisdom is, is knowing to put it, you know, to listen to it or to right. put it into action. Yes. And I think that was the thing is the willingness to speak up because like you said, um, you know, we live in a society where we often, we often give away our power to people that we 
we give authority to, right? Like mm-hmm. doctors oh, yeah. or lawyers or teachers or and and we we say, well, they're the authority, so certainly my opinion can't be worth anything, and that's not true. Our opinion and our wisdom and our gut instincts, our intuition are important, whether the other person has a degree or not. We need to pay attention, that's and we right. we can do that by just being curious um, and and being willing to explore a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that activity of exploring one's own wisdom, so to speak, of trusting and acting upon those inner guidances that is a key portion of learning how to apply the law of attraction. Because until you can learn to trust yourself, how can you learn to trust what you believe? There's really no way to, to do um, it. Teach, I used to teach a course on intuition. And one of the things that I would um, have people do is, you know, tap, practice tapping into that intuition and letting it help you make a decision when it's not like a life or death thing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, should I go to this grocery store or that grocery store? You know, <laughs> just, um, in other words, not anything where you think you might really be sorry if you miss the mark, right? But practice in areas where it doesn't seem so consequential one way or the other. And pretty soon you'll realize, you'll start recognizing that inner voice in yeah. a, a much better way. It's kind of like when you pick up the telephone well, nowadays everybody has caller ID in our cell phones. Yeah, phone right. Calling. But, you know, back in the day, you just picked up the phone not knowing who it was going to be there, right? And when you recognize the voice, oh, hi, Mom, it's you, right? Or yep. it's a friend, and you just know their voice. We want to know our inner voice that way. Right. So yeah. that when we hear it, we don't shut it down. We pay attention. And I have to say that's been one of the hardest parts for me in that, I have, even after all my years of trying to learn to apply and study and understand how the law of attraction works, I've been really slow to tap into and even detect internal messages. Um, It's only very recently that I've even tried to do it on a a regular basis. And by recently, I mean like in the last few months, trying to, um, you know, be aware and, and if I get any kind of a sensation or a feeling or anything just get be aware of it and and try to do something with it not even have any clear idea what i'm going to do with it but just just trying to do something with it and i'm beginning to realize that that that's a very key portion of of what it takes to apply loa successfully because that's where we're getting a lot of the information that makes it more likely that we're going to succeed so i'm still developing yeah, it yeah and i think but, the aware- you know, awareness yeah it starts with awareness, and, and you were just saying, you know, paying attention and not even knowing what you're going to do with whatever it is, that's okay, right? It's just bringing ourselves back into the present moment and being aware of, you know, I talk about this a lot because I, I, because I think that people today, we're so busy, and we we also have so much coming at us in the form of, like, information. Oh. We're always on computers and on smartphones. and oh, on. Yeah. We've just got this fire hose of information coming at us. It's really easy to shut out whatever we're feeling in our body. But when I talk about feelings and emotions, I usually say feelings and emotions because they're two different things. We have emotions like happy and sad, right? But we also have feelings like a knot in my stomach or my, my shoulders feel tight right, or a headache, I mean, feelings. And so with that fire hose of information coming at us and with a bazillion things on our to-do list every day, it's really easy to shut those things 
out. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm raising my hand. I know there's been times when I've had a slight headache and I've not even done anything about it for half the day because I'm just pushing it away. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I was going to try to deal with that, right? Not even thinking about it. But when we, when we make it a practice, it's a mindfulness practice, when we make it a practice to just be aware, we don't have to make a decision about, you know, what to do. Um, that will just come to us in time. We just have to get used to the awareness factor and let it be easy. <laughs> mm, yeah. In Curiosity. Fact, in fact, I can think of uh, one particular kind of of internal message that I've been learning how to pay attention to. Uh, something based on what my wife mentioned about, uh, I don't know, about a month ago, just before Christmas, I think it was, when we met some new friends who are LOA friends. And in our conversation with these, with this really nice couple, uh, one of the things that Louise mentioned is that you can't experience stress and breathing at the same time. When you are breathing, you are de-stressing. When you are stressing, you're not breathing or you're breathing very shallowly. And so. Yes, stress is a symptom of shallow breath. That is absolutely true. That's great. Yeah. So I've been trying to pay attention. I'm being mindful, you know, is the phrase, right? I'm trying to be mindful of that. And so whenever I notice myself feeling stress, and usually I feel it in like my jaw or something like that, I stop and I say, oh, not enough breathing. And I'll deliberately deep breathe for as long as I can consciously remember to keep deep breathing. (laughs) So, you know, just trying to, to practice getting one of those internal signals and then doing something with it. And just, it, it doesn't even matter if it, it's a big thing. Like you said, this is a fairly small thing in, in the scheme of things. But just doing that much, I found, well, first of all, I'm a lot less stressed than I was. And I'm thinking, this is great. <laughs> why didn't I know about this before? No, Louise, why did you tell me this before? <laughs> no, it's fantastic. And that's, and that's absolutely right, is that stress is actually a symptom of a shallow breathing. So... I always tell people, look, you can take, you can take three really deep breaths, you know, in, in a minute, right? It's like 10 seconds of breathing in and 10, and that, some people can't even breathe that deeply because we're used to breathing in a really shallow way. Mm. And so once we become aware and we just start to breathe deep, then think about how much more obvious it is when we catch ourselves feeling stressed because we've kind of trained our focus to pay attention. Instead of just like wandering around like stressed out all the time, which a lot of us are. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's that, I think it's the story. Like a certain family member that we talked to recently and said <clears throat> they had been in for a test um, because of a, it wasn't a heart attack, but just stress, a stress issue, like a stress pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we recognize is that's part of the story. Oh, I'm so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. Mm. My job is causing me stress. My kids are causing me stress, right? And right. It, it's almost said um, without any thought at all. It's like a habit now to just say, oh, oh yeah. I'm so stressed out. Yeah. And and this is part of what hit me about that article as far as story is that there's a story that Mike Dooley tells Um and I'll try to relay it just from memory, but I think it was an uncle that he said that came to visit, and the uncle was always, and he was like a, I think he was a kid, um, and not the uncle, but Mike Julie <laughs> was a kid, and the uncle came to visit, and the uncle kept saying, 
oh, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I'm just so tired. I'm so exhausted. And he said that he started saying that. Oh, mm. me too. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. And he said after saying that for a week, he was just, he could barely hold his head up. He was just so tired and exhausted all the time. Yeah. And like something clicked for him and he recognized, wait, I wasn't tired and exhausted. Like I'm saying this because, right? Yeah. And he stopped saying it and changed his story. And so it's that I am statement. It's like, I am depressed. Well, we may be feeling depression, um, but what's going on and what's what's the cause of it and what can I change in my life? that will meet my need, whatever that is. Do I have meaning in my life? Do I feel like I have some control over, you know, what's happening? How can I change things? Because when we have the I am statement of I am depressed, it's like a message that we're giving to our subconscious that says, okay, all right. You know how people say things about themselves all the time. They say, oh, I'm terrible at names. And they remember names. Right? And they say it, like so often that other people know that of them. Well, yeah. you know you're terrible at names. That's right. Yes. <laughs> well, why would you say that about me? Well, because you say it all the time, <laughs> right? I mean, we do that. We we make a story about ourselves, and we we tell it. We tell that story all the time, and then our subconscious, which is what makes most of our decisions, says, "Okay, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it." That's right. Yes. <laughs> And I'm always amazed at how when we, we tell those stories and we start to hear about, well, with the law of attraction, you have to change your story. You have to, you, you can't just l- pretend that everything is what it is and that, and that you're locked into it. Otherwise, you will be locked into it and that's all your experience is going to be. So you have to change the story. I'm always amazed by how difficult it seems to change the story because, like, for instance, one thing that I talk about too, much too frequently is how I have really bad eyesight. In my, particularly in my left eye because I have macular degeneration. And I know, I know that what I should be saying is I am developing macular regeneration. My eyes are healing. I should be saying that instead. And yet when it comes to saying it, there's like a piece of me that says, you can't say that. It's not true. <laughs> every day in every way I'm getting better and yeah, better. Yeah, right, and better. exactly. <laughs> That's my default man that's my default affirmation right because it it can't be proven false but it's, it's as Joel Elson likes to, to say um and he says a lot of different ways finds a lot of different ways to say it but uh, he posts very frequently on his Facebook timeline your excuses still are not valid and i think about that whenever <laughs> i'm trying to to you know wrestle with something like well i i keep saying all of this thing and I can't find a way around it. And his, I can just hear him in my head saying, well, your excuses still aren't valid. <laughs> yep. We checked again today. Yes, right. <laughs> my, my favorite version of this that he did was uh, this ruling just down from the Virginia Supreme Court, your excuses still aren't valid. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, so that's, you know, it, you're right about that. I mean, it is, it's difficult at first to start telling a different story, especially if, what we're seeing with our eyes um, doesn't seem to match up. Oh, yeah. And so, right? And so that's that's the importance of persistence and also of taking the time to craft that story where you can tell it and where it does feel true and where it is. I mean, it is true, right? So you talked, you said something about 
macular regeneration, which I thought was fantastic. It took um, me a while to get there, too, and, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, a pro- it's, it's using terms like I'm in the process of, or I do things that create and support my eyes to be healthier. Um, and so both can be, you know, we can honor our experience without having to be have that experience become our identity. And ultimately, my goal is to stop thinking of myself as being a victim of macular degeneration, mm-hmm. uh, even though medical science tells me that my left eye will never regenerate the ability to see straightforward. Because that's what macular degeneration is. It, it, it's the macula, the front part of the eye. So, so you, you're, you get blindness directly at what you look at. You can, you can see peripherally, but you can't see directly straight ahead. And medical science says once that's gone, it's gone. But I know that medical science is only offering an opinion. And I have to remind myself every of day. That. They do. They happen but, every single and, day. And things that we consider, things that we consider commonplace today were miracles yesterday. That's true. That's, that, you know, that's, I mean, things, that's true. More things than in, in the healing realm, especially in the medical realm, um, that we never would have imagined could be possible years ago or months ago, you know, suddenly we're finding are possible. Or things that we've thought for a long time, um, we thought were medical, like you said before, we thought they were fact, and now we're learning they were just an opinion. Right. And they weren't a fact at all. And so when we can hold those facts and opinions loosely and recognize that um, what about the day where they say, oh, you know, there used to be a time when they thought that you couldn't have macular regeneration. Now we see it all the time. Yeah. Won't that be something? I mean, it will be for yeah. me. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's going to be very big for me because, I, I mean, the day when the day comes that – I can actually see straight forward through my left eye. That's going to be something of a miracle for me. And, and it, by the way, I should mention, my right eye has always been the stronger eye and still is. So fortunately, I still have eyesight in the eye that's always been the stronger eye. But even though the left ear is, is the weaker eye, there's no reason that it can't get sight back. There's no reason it can't strengthen, you know? There's, there's every well, reason why it could. I can't remember if we were talking about this on the air yesterday or, or just a little bit after our call, but we were talking about the idea that um, that everything is energy and, and that actually most everything is just empty space. Yes, yes. And so um, I heard a story one time. It was uh, – I'm trying to remember who told me this story, but it was a, a group that I was in, and it might have been a coaching group that I was in, but it was a story about – that they were trying to move a giant like Amwa um, through a doorway, and it was no matter how they turned it, it just it just wasn't it happening. Fit it, yeah. And it was just too big. <laughs> <laughs> and that they looked at each other and said, "You know, this thing is mostly just empty space." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they 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 got it through, and oh, that's funny. and you know made me laugh. But they still talk about it in awe because they were, you know people hearing this story could say, oh, whatever, you know, so they just moved it in a way that got through the door. But the two people that had been struggling to fit it through the door all night um, will both say years later, oh, no, yeah, something happened. 
something shifted, you know, energetically in the, in that thing. Uh, when we recognize that nothing is really solid, everything is mostly empty space, it's all just vibrating energy, why can't we rearrange it? Absolutely. And, and for those who say, well, well, they just found a way to get it through, I, I'd like to hear their explanation of the story. And this is a, a story that has actually been repeated in a numer- numerous incidences, but you see them written up every once in a while. Stories of, like, there's there's a woman whose son gets run over by a car. The car is sitting on top of the, of the son. There's no way to move the car without hurting the son. They don't have any kind of equipment nearby. So the woman does something that is physically impossible. She picks up the car, lifts it off his body so that he can be freed. And right. th- there's absolutely no way to make that happen. This is like a 2,000-pound car. A, a, a woman cannot raise a 2,000-pound car, but she does anyway. Yeah, we, we can't put that one off to adrenaline, right? <laughs> yeah, that, you, you can't just say, well, that's just because she found it, you know, the right shape. It doesn't work. That argument just doesn't work at all. <laughs> she found a way to do something that was impossible, which means, guess what? It wasn't impossible. Right. And so I, I love that idea. I can't tell you that I've um, figured out a formula yet to really make that idea work every time. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say that I've dealt, I've used that idea at times when I've had physical pain in my body, um, pain in my shoulder, pain in my neck, and I've realized, wait a minute, Okay, all these tendons and muscles and bones and things that are causing me that I'm I'm attributing this pain that I'm perceiving as being connected to something wrong in the structure of my muscles or too tight or whatever. But you know what? Uh, I'm mostly just empty space, and this is I'm just vibrating energy like everything else. And we can reconstruct that in a way where I'm not perceiving any kind of pain, and it's actually worked. Um, and you know. We say, well, it's probably all in your head. Yeah, everything's all in our head. (laughs) We don't realize how big the inside of our head is, right? It's like everything is just a perception. I I love the dismissive tone behind it, it, too. The dismissive tone of, well, it's all in your head, as if that were nothing, you know, as if that were unimportant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yay. It is all in my head. Let me tell you what goes on in there. Miracles (laughs) happen in there. Exactly. It's really what we're trying to learn how to do as LOA practitioners is we're trying to learn to see past the miracles into I can. And that takes practice. It takes time to learn how to do it. It's not something that's easy to do when you've living you've been living your entire life with that's what is. You can't change what is. That that's a big shift. But we're getting there. Well, it is. Stuff's happening. <laughs> And you, you know what else comes to mind is, you know, we're talking about this this article we read with the idea of of emotional health and the idea of feeling emotions that are uncomfortable and painful and that we don't like. And I think about my probably favorite LOA mentor, um, Neville Goddard, and something that he stressed over and over and over and it was like if you if you never learned anything from him but one thing, it is to assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled, right? Mm. So he's dealing with feelings, and what would it feel like if my wish was fulfilled? What would it feel like if this thing came to pass, this thing I desire? And I think about 
the idea that he's wanting us to practice a feeling. And practicing feelings is something we do all day long. And especially if we're in a place where we feel depressed, that's what we're practicing. And I'm not saying that it's easy, oh, snap out of it. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I am saying that we can we can decide that for just a moment, we're going to attempt to practice a different feeling. It's interesting you should say that and because that's exactly what my wife tried to do. Uh, when I was going through some fairly depressed periods of my life, just to break the, the mood, so to speak, she, periodically she'd come over to where I was and kind of straddle me and sit on my chest and grab me by the lapel and say, snap out of it! <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it's hard to snap out of it, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's more than just, you know, snapping out of it. But if we can take a moment and practice a different feeling, it's like, imagining what something tastes like. You know, when you're reading a story and it talks about the taste of lemons or it talks about the taste of chocolate or it talks about what velvet feels like on your hand, you're imagining those things. And you can imagine them. It does and they might not question, feel though. quite as vivid as when you're actually experiencing them, but right. our imagination is working. And so it's using that skill that ability to imagine what something would feel like. And we don't have to try to do it all day, 24-7. Just try it for a moment uh, and then try it for another moment. <laughs> sure. It, it does raise a question, though, a question that I've raised in my own mind uh, with friends and so forth and that I know other people have raised. I've seen them raise it on Facebook and in LOA groups. And that is if you've never experienced the, the experience or the thing or whatever it is that you're trying to manifest, you're trying to attract, how do you imagine it? If you never, if you don't know what it's like, how do you imagine what it feels like? And it, it's an interesting well, paradox. That's what imagination is, right? This is true. Like, I've, I've never seen, you know, uh, I mean, we can, we can think of something we've never seen. I've never seen a cat with eight legs, but I can imagine one. I'm not sure I really want to, but uh, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can imagine anything. I think they're called octopuses, aren't they? No, sorry. <laughs> You're right. And so i I think that I think that's the the idea is that excuse isn't valid. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the whole it's idea like, of imagining when you're a kid. You'd be shocked at what you can imagine, right? Yeah, the whole idea of imagining when you're a kid is just to see how far you can imagine. Just to see if you can come up with, you know, a play out, a play out a scenario. Can you do it? And, of course, you mostly do it from, you know, what you've seen and experience that you've had as a kid and maybe what you saw on television or, you know, what your parents tell you about what they do when they go to work or whatever. But, nevertheless, a lot of the time right. you're just imagining just to imagine, just to say, well, how about we do this? <laughs> That's another one of my, I mean, I would talk about Neville Goddard. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but The Power of Imagination is one of his books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I don't really know his stuff yeah. well, but I'm aware of him. Yeah. And so he talks a lot about that. And I think that that's part of the answer for us when when we're, in a place where we're experiencing something that is resulting in us having a lot of feelings and emotions that we'd rather not 
feelings and emotions that feel less than wonderful is to tap into our imagination. Uh, and <clears throat> imagination gets a bad rap. What do you mean? Right? Well, think about the, the way people will say, oh, it's all in your imagination. It's kind of like, oh, it's oh, all okay. in your head. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> and then on the other side, we get, well, use your imagination, right? We get a lot of conflicting kind of messages we do. growing up about <laughs> imagination. Oh, Not you're imagining up. that. <laughs> we get it when we're adults, right? too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we get both sides of it. It's like, we what do. am I supposed to do with this? But our imagination is, it's how we image things, and it's its powerful. Think about Think about when, when we have dreams, our nighttime dreams, mm-hmm. how vivid they can be. Um, and so our imagination is is a powerful part of us, and we can uh, cultivate it. It would we be can interesting. cultivate it. We can practice using it. It would be interesting to see what would happen if more and more adults tried to spend more time in imagination. And I'm thinking... In the workplace, I'm thinking in home life, I'm thinking in religious life, I'm thinking in every aspect of our lives. What if we tried to use imagination more? What would happen? I can only imagine, (laughs) I can only imagine that it would lead to an even greater rate of producing what we might otherwise call miracles. Yes. How could it not? Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I actually used to facilitate a course for corporate people that was create a creativity thing. And that was probably why, because people put this distinction between creatives and, I mean, have you ever heard someone say, oh, I'm not creative? I've heard people say it all heard the time. Heard it? I said it. <laughs> and it's like, yes, you are creative. Um, you just haven't practiced tapping into it, maybe. I like actually when got... people tell me they can't draw. I'm like, well, how often do you draw? Yeah, that's true. I actually got hired and for I... a job where the job I was applying for had a creative side to it. When I went to the interview, I said, well, I've never been creative. And they hired me anyway because they thought I was creative. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, see? <laughs> And that's what, you know, when someone said, oh, I can't draw, I said, if you, if you go buy a sketchbook and you spend one hour every day working in your sketchbook, at the end of a year, you will not be saying, I can't draw. At the end of the year, you'll be amazed at what you're drawing. Assuming, of course, that I stick with it because for me, it was, it. it was more likely that I would draw one day and then put the sketchbook away forever. <laughs> And then not give myself the chance, right? <laughs> right, and that's it. It's the practice, and yeah, it does. It takes it takes dedication and commitment. Um, if we want to be powerful, deliberate creators, we're all powerful creators. That's day what we're learning. Out. That's what we're, that's the we're one all- thing we need to learn. We need to believe that, and we need to learn it because it's true. It's true for. Every single one of us, doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter what our mental abilities are, doesn't matter what our emotional structure is, doesn't matter what's going on in our lives, doesn't matter how good or bad our lives are, we are all amazing creators. And we just need to wake up to it and say, yeah, yeah, I really am a a fantastic creator. What the heck took me so long? And then we can get (laughs) deliberate and we can get deliberate about it and start creating specific things that we want to create. Yeah. And so... We have to have that recognition first, though, 
in order to consciously create things is the, the knowing that, oh, I am a powerful creator. And so the, tr- the jump, the trip, the journey from just creating in an unconscious way and creating in a conscious way, it takes commitment and dedication if we want it like any, it's like anything else mm. it's like anything else that we want to master and achieve some degree of mastery over we need focus and commitment and awareness and practice like consistent practice and some people don't want to put the put that in but if we're willing to put that in to put the time in so to speak uh, we will begin to improve our abilities. Oh, I, I think a lot of people don't want to put the effort in. And I think one of the reasons they don't want to put the effort in is because it's too comfortable where they are. And I don't care how bad their circumstances are. I mean, I, I can think of one person right off the top of my head whose circumstances are pretty bad. And if you propose the idea that this person should, you know, be more creative in their thinking process and, and uh you know, try to change their beliefs so that they they are actually a creator of their own experience and and can actually create the, any experience they want to create. They'll answer, "Yeah, I agree," and then they won't do it. <laughs> yeah, because it takes effort. It takes effort, and and, 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 the, and because we we've talked about this before, the idea of that we we say and hear the air quotes again, right? Your yeah. comfort zone, right? I've heard people say. Everything that you want, it's outside of your comfort zone. Well, the thing about the comfort zone is a lot of times it's not very comfortable in there. Isn't that interesting? It's familiar. Yeah. I mean, most it's, comfort it's zones are actually discomfort thing. zones, which is mind-boggling to me. There's so many people who will settle for discomfort as a comfort zone. Well, it's mind-boggling until we realize that we have what's often referred to as the lizard brain. Yes. It's the part of the brain that's lowest on the brainstem, and it's I always describe it as it's the brain that a squirrel has. Yep. And it's about that size, and it, it's it's only it's only you know drive is to to procreate and to eat and to stay clear of that dog that's chasing it. Right, the fight or flight. And so. Yeah. We have that, and it's actually one of the main decision-making parts of our brain um, that the reason why it's so comfortable with the familiar is because it feels safe. It knows it can survive it. So it's like, yeah, my life might be better with with a different partner, with a different home in a different town, with a better job, but... I've never done any of those things, and I don't know. We don't know if we can survive that. We know we can survive what we went through yesterday at this terrible job with this terrible partner in this terrible place <laughs> we're living. It might seem terrible to us, but it's familiar, and we can survive it. And so we go another day without making a change. And once we understand that that fear of change, it's it's just. People talk about self-sabotage, and I always say, well, I don't think we are sabotaging ourselves. I think we're trying to keep ourselves safe. Mm-hmm. So we stay in that uncomfortable, familiar zone because we're safe there. We know it, we can survive it. Isn't it also true that the, the so-called lizard brain, isn't that also the ARAS, the filtering mechanism? They're connected. Are they connected? They're not the same. Okay. I don't think 
they're I don't think they're the same. Okay. I think it's in the same region though. It is in the same region. And give you an answer. That, I, I, I do know, know it's in that correct. region. I just didn't know if it was the exact same piece or not. But the, uh, just but, the fact that they're so close, they're so connected, certainly ties them together because it's the filtering mechanism that's programmable. I mean, it, the filtering right. mechanism is how we let certain things in and keep most things out without even realizing it. But we can program it to let other things in, and that programming method is through the use of imagination. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that once we're consistent about the programming, right, Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be hard. I don't want people to get that idea that this is difficult. Um, it, but it's like anything else that you practice. If you're consistent, you just get better and better at it. Yeah, it probably starts and, off with a, with a, quite a bit of resistance because you're not used to doing it. But over time, it gets easier. It gets it gets easier. It gets more automatic. Yeah. It because of those neural connections, right? right. I mean, we are we our brain has makes connections. And we start to do things automatically. It's like people that say, well, I drive home from work and they're just on autopilot because they drive the same way home every day. Um, That's another trick, actually, is if you want to start being more aware and start having um, an easier time at awareness is to start doing things a little differently. Go home a different way. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Do things sure. in the morning. Break up the we all have our routine. Do things different. Yeah. Do shake it up and do things in a different order than we normally do them. Because something will um, happen. Some, something will shift. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's why true. so many people, even people that practice LOA and are really great at it, will notice that when they go out of town, they have a big shift. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because we're not on autopilot because we don't know the streets in this town right. and we don't know we have to be we have to tap into a different level of awareness. So. Even we if can we're do that at GPS. home. We don't have to go out of town. We can just just change things up a little bit and change, shake up your routine. <laughs> and the interesting thing is it even happens if we're using GPS where we're basically being guided. Okay, you turn right here, you turn left here. We still have a different level of awareness even with that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, it's really true. Um, something else I want people to have a bigger awareness of. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Uh, because people who are subscribing are finding that they're really enjoying it a lot. And we know that as a fact. That's not just us saying this, you know, for, uh, oh, you know, spouting our own pipe or whatever it is. It's because people listen. They listen. The, the analytics show us that. When the average listener um, who listens to a podcast listens not just to one, they listen to 22 all the way through in a given month. So that means people are getting their daily dose of happy. And we want you to do it too. So if you haven't subscribed, Go to LOAToday.net, click on any of the subscribe buttons, or if you're using an iPhone, just go to the iTunes store and do a search on LOA Today there, or you can even just search on LOA Today in your podcast software that's built into into the iPhone. And if you have like a Samsung or a Motorola or NG or one of the other Android phones, you have to install a podcast manager first. In fact, there's a nice free one called Podcast Manager you can get from the Play Store. But once you install that, you can do a search on LOA Today as well. So please do subscribe because we want you to get your daily dose of happy. And Cindy, if somebody needs a little personal assistance, how can they reach you? Uh, they can find me online at cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. Same name on Twitter and Facebook. Come find me. Sounds great. Cindy, it's been great this week. I can't wait to do it again with you next week, next Tuesday. Okay, we will see you next week. Have a great a great week, everyone. And we'll see you all uh, who want to stick with us later on today as well and every single day, Monday through Friday. We'll see you all later on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.